You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Welcome to the Lead to Soar podcast. I'm joined today by Barbara Bruno, an expert on talent recruiting, and she's the founding leader of Good as Gold Training. She's also the author of High Tech, High Touch Recruiting and 99 Proven Sales Secrets. Barbara, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. All right. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us the Barbara Bruno and Good as Gold Training highlights reel. (laughs) Okay. Obviously, I'm a baby boomer. So when I went into the job market and I was looking for a sales position originally, I was told that women were nurses, teachers, or secretaries, and that women don't sell. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I was in a position where I was becoming a single mom, and I knew sales was the only way for me to have unlimited income. And I even went to employment firms, and they all kind of patted me on the head and said, don't worry, you know, you type 100 words a minute, you know, you're meant to be a secretary. And I was like, no, I'm not. Finally, I opened my own company because I realized that how limiting people's attitudes were. And I'll be honest with you, I opened up my first company was named Sunshine Employment. And I opened it to put sunshine in the lives of other women, because I felt if I was treated that way, when a woman walks in, you shouldn't automatically test her typing. You know, that just should not mm-hmm. be. And so I've spent my whole career, basically just trying to mentor other women and not have them constantly be hitting those obstacles that I was hitting throughout my career. And so often I would be in a room, like I took Dale Carnegie. Yeah, I was the only woman taking the course. I did a lot of things where I was the only woman there. And I thought, boy, this is wrong. Yet I have to admit to you, most of my mentors, the reason I am where I am today was because of some very strong male mentors, because there weren't female mentors. And when there were women higher up, they didn't want to pull me up. It was almost like they saw me as a threat. That doesn't exist as much anymore, I don't believe. I think the women right now were very apt to mentor. I had a search firm, you know, and I did that for years. And then I would go to conventions and hear people training and thought, boy, they're giving bad information. You know, what they're Mm -hmm. teaching people is not the way to do the job. They must not be doing the job. They just must be a speaker. And so one time we had a speaker not show up. I was the president of my association and we drew straws and I got the straw that said I had to speak. And I was like, oh my God, no, you know? So I did, I gave a keynote at this conference with like 800 people there and it just blossomed from there. So now I speak at roughly 30 conventions a year. I train people how to advance in their career. I train companies on how to find top talent. And I have been hired by many companies when they see they don't have women in the C-suite. And half the time, it's not that, that they're not available. It's that their interviewing process eliminates females and they don't even realize it. I was hired by a company in Washington, D.C. a couple months ago. And they wanted me to teach their recruiters how to recruit diverse women for the C-suite. And I walked in and the whole HR department was diverse. And I walk in and I'm going to teach them how to find diverse females. And I go, wow, this has to be uncomfortable for you guys. And they go, it is. And I said, so is it your interviewing process? And they go, yep. So I didn't even spend time with the recruiters. I went right back to leadership and said, your recruiting team is presenting very qualified, diverse, very strong women and your interviewing process is eliminating them. So that's what you have to fix. Sometimes there's just unconscious bias. Sometimes it could be one or two people in the interviewing process that don't even realize that if somebody's not like them, they get uncomfortable, you know? So I spent a lot of time just teaching people that it's your interviewing process that's broken. And you've got to fix that if you want women to enter the C-suite. 
let's unpack this more because this is part of where we want to go today is what do leaders need to be doing differently? So, so what can leaders, particularly in talent competitive markets do to attract this talent, women and diverse candidates to begin with, but then what do they need to be doing more specifically in their interview process? Number one, there are tremendous resources out there that are targeted for women, that are targeted for diverse. You know, you can't put an ad on a job board and expect that you're going to find the right person. You've got to recruit them. You know, so you've got to be proactively going out there and building your network of executive women. Join the groups that they join on LinkedIn. Let it be known that your company culture, if I open your website and I see all old white men as your executive suite, I don't necessarily think that I'm going to fit in because I don't see me. But to try to even start to get there, you have to go out to the resources and you've got to start networking and building relationships with the groups that represent women. There's so many resources out there. And again, there are so many qualified females out there, but you've got to be willing to go out there and recruit them. Usually the best person for the job is working for someone else. It's a passive candidate. It's not a woman that's reading the job board ads, but the way you meet them is, are you joining the associations they join? Do you hang out where they hang out? You know, in the interviewing process, even when the job recs from before don't work anymore. I love when I see a job rec and it's this laundry list of skills that must be there. Sometimes there's something in that laundry list that a woman might not have. But the laundry list is so outdated. So what I always have companies do is give me five performance objectives. What does this person have to do in the first six months to a year to get a stellar performance review from you? So what do you need? And when they give me the performance objectives, we look at the laundry list they gave on their job rec and half of it isn't even relevant. And there's things they didn't ask for that they have to get if they want this person to do these five things. So we've gotten very, very focused on obtaining performance objectives from leaders. You've got to understand how are you going to evaluate this person, get rid of that laundry list and really look at, okay, if you're going to bring somebody in, you know, you've got to figure out, you know, how you're going to evaluate them in six months to a year. You know, too many interviews are done on Zoom. Too many interviews, you see what you've got. So have a set of questions that someone who's not going to supervise this person asks everybody, not on Zoom, on a phone call where they can't see the person, and they just ask questions and they've got a scorecard. And so whoever makes it through the scorecard gets put through to a panel interview. If leaders would go to panel interviews, because then when you have a panel interview, no one person has the power to screen anybody out because it's a consensus. And if everybody sees the performance objectives and the scorecard is against the performance objectives, it eliminates that unconscious bias. It also eliminates emotion. Hiring is a very emotional process. Think about this, Mel. I could interview you and I could like you. Say that you and I click, okay? We clicked earlier in our conversation. So it would be very easy for me to interview you. And because I like you and I like what you stand for, I could convince myself that you are qualified for our job. Now I could interview somebody else and our personalities didn't click. And I could find reasons why that person is not a fit. And I could believe both instances are true and the other person could have been a better fit for the job. But because I didn't personally click, because the chemistry wasn't there, or maybe you look differently than me, you know, or you are a female. I think a lot of executives in leadership are concerned. They're almost not intimidated. Intimidated is the wrong word, but I don't know that they feel qualified to bring a a high-powered woman into the C-suite and then be able to back her and mentor her and train her and give her all the tools she needs. 
So it's a combination of you've got to look at your requisitions, the way you're writing them. You've got to look at where you're going out there to source. You know, and there's organizations like the Women Business Collaborative, WBC. They put together 70 women organizations. They were all trying to do DEI separately, and they put them through this collaborative. And their whole thing is trying to promote women in the C-suite and women in leadership and that. Find those organizations, your organization. I would think that, you know, lead to soar, you're representing high-level females, plus you're trying to train leadership on how to hire high-level females. You would be a great resource that somebody should come to and say, okay, this is the type of leader that we need. Over 50% of the workforce isn't even working a full-time job anymore because of consulting and all the part-time things people are doing. It's getting harder and harder to find those high-powered executives that really you know, have bottom line accountability, know how to read a PL. And again, when you're interviewing a female, often they may not have had that on-site PL accountability in a past job, but are you willing to take the time to teach them that aspect of the job? Because the financial aspect of the job is where women are not mentored. They're just not. You know, they're mentored on leadership, they're mentored on on everything else, but they're not mentored on the financial. They don't have the, necessarily have the financial savvy that their male counterparts might have. Companies should think about, okay, our middle management, the females that are in middle management right now, are we teaching them the financial parts of the business? That'd be another great place to go. Are we showing our female middle managers how to read a P&L? And what we've seen when we audit traditional leadership programs is that they're completely missing those things mm-hmm. related to the P&L, the business and strategic acumen, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And so a traditional leadership program that corporations offer is heavily skewed toward personal attributes and how we interact with other people, which on average, women tend to rank higher in already, right? Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely right. We're totally on the same page there. And you've given us a a lot to think about. (laughs) It's great. I wonder if you might tell us a little bit more about what you're seeing in recent years in the landscape as far as companies being serious about looking for women and diverse talent for the C-suite and higher level positions? Where are they still struggling? What do leaders need to think about doing differently? I think it has to start at the top. Like if I'm a CEO, I'm chairman of the board, it has to start at the top that they make a commitment. I don't necessarily think that, well, 10% of our executives have to be females. I don't like when they put a number or percentage or a quota, because it almost sounds like we're going to get the best of what we can get within the quota, rather than recognizing that there are some phenomenal women leaders that could, could take their company to a whole different level if they were just viewing their hiring process different. So it has to start at the very top, where the top executives of a company realize what women have to bring to the table. I was born in the generation where they said, well, women are never going to get the C-suite because you have babies. And then you leave the job force. And then, I mean, it's you know that old school type of, well, women only go so far and then, which is totally ridiculous, you know, and that, I mean, men can't have babies. So women do have to take time off somewhere in their career if they want a family, but that doesn't downplay their ability to lead. What's nice now now is you've got some great women that are CEOs of companies. You know, you can look, you can see yourself in the boardroom. And I think it's great that there's organizations out there that are now tracking how many women are on your board. And I think financially, what leadership is realizing that women have a tremendous buying power. And if they don't have women in their leadership team competitively, they're going to lose out. 
So I think that when leadership realizes that it's going to benefit us, not only that we're going to have a more diverse workforce, but that we're going to be more profitable. We're going to attract more talent if we are more diverse. When I'm working with companies, I love what they tell me, but then I watch what they do. And there's always a disconnect between what they say and what they do. And so if you want to know if you're really embracing this, then what are you doing? What actions are you taking? So say that, yes, we make a commitment that we want to bring more women into the C-suite, you know, so what action items are put in place? You know, what revisions are you making to your hiring process, your recruiting process, your interviewing process? Then once somebody is hired, who is that mentor? And what areas, if someone doesn't have a specific area, what areas are we willing to train in? Because it's interesting, Mel, the thing I gave you earlier, if I like you and I hire you and you don't know something, I'm going to teach you. But if you're not like me, I might screen you out and I don't even have to teach you things. There's more women now that have financial acumen than there's ever been because I think people are paying attention to that now. But there's still a great disparity between the amount of women that have that and the amount of men that have it in the workforce. But I think you've got to be willing to give the training that's needed and realize that women naturally have better soft skills than men anyway. Quit teaching them the soft skills because they're great there. I actually had an executive, this was probably a year ago, that said, but women are so emotional. And I I just had to bite my tongue. And I said, and thank God, I said, because our emotion often drives our passion for what we do. Because what I really wanted to do is choke him. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You know, are you... And I was at a table with like, you know, a chairman of a board, a CEO, and he actually said that. And and then finally, the chairman of the board said, uh, just by the look on your face, Barbara, you're really trying not to say what you're thinking, aren't you? And I said, yes. And he goes, the fact that you even said that to her, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Yeah. You know, so I think companies have to do things. They can't just say, we're going to put more women in leadership. What programs have you put in place? So it's training. It's how do you teach your talent acquisition team to recruit different? How do you change your hiring process? And once somebody is hired, everybody's complaining about engagement and retention. If I'm a female and I'm hired in a leadership role and I have no support team and I feel like I'm being hung out there to fail, I'm not going to stay because I realize I was your token hire. I've got to see a support team once I accept a leadership role and not only a support team of people I can bank on and they can be men and women, but then what additional training do I have? Give me what you want me to achieve and then just leave me alone and let me do it. So let's go to the candidate experience a bit. So I saw on your website that you created a customized career portal for candidates who don't get hired or placed. So, I mean, talk to us about this, but in general, tell us about what companies need to be doing for candidate experience. Right. The candidate experience is horrible right now. And that's why I wrote the book, High Tech, High Touch Recruiting, because we've gotten so high tech and I'm, I'm very technical, you know, and we do everything and we utilize computers, but computers don't hire talent. People do. Recruiting and hiring is a relationship building business. And so the reason I did the career portal is it bothered me that often I would have people contact me that I couldn't place in a job. Either they weren't in the niche I place in, they didn't have what my clients needed, but sometimes the people that needed me the most, I could do nothing for. So I developed a career portal. And if I don't place somebody in a job or don't hire them, I send them to my career portal. I do calls once a week for job seekers free. There's a 16 step process in there that shows them how to position themselves to find a job because most resumes 
are horrible. If you want to get noticed by higher ups, number one, you've got to realize that automated parsers, even on the executive level, often you're, you're submitting a resume and it's being read by an automated parser. They read the top one third of the first page of your resume. So you have to have a career summary up there with keywords that are relevant to that type of position. And then after that, core competencies, you know, like leadership, so that when it's reading this, you don't have a computer screen you out. But then your, your resume is either a ticket to the interview or it's sabotaging your search. And most resumes that I see are awful. It's almost like a job description. If you look at a resume and if the person that had the, your job before you could use your resume, then it's not your resume, it's a job description. So one or two sentences about what you did and then three to five accomplishments. What did you do different, better, faster? Where'd you save money? Where'd you save time? And then the impact on the past employer. Because people love to see that, what impact you had on somebody in the past. Then they're going to want to think, well, you'll do the same impact for them. It starts with the resume if you want to get noticed. And the other thing is your LinkedIn profile should be a mini sales letter, not a resume. And companies have to do more because they're not even acknowledging when you apply for a job anymore. I was on a panel with all Fortune 100 companies, and I even asked them in the audience, what are you doing there? You're a recruiter. So I was invited to be here. I don't know. And they were talking about this one woman was a VP of HR of a huge pizza chain. And she said, people apply to us. They don't hear from us. They quit buying our pizza. Companies are losing money by not improving the candidate experience. And we, you've got to start acknowledging the people that apply. And maybe somebody's not a fit today, but if you treat them with respect, if you give them what they can do now to become more marketable, they could be a hire for you in a year or two. Just tell them what they need to do. So again, I think the candidate experience for all intents and purposes is not good out there. Most candidates do not have a positive experience. And often women think, I'm too old. Well, no, often when you think you're too old, you're making too much money. You've applied for a job where they said 10 years of experience and you have 20. So you think you're too old. No, they want you for an executive level position, but they can't afford your salary. So don't think you're being discriminated against because of age. Often it's money. It's money. It's not necessarily age. Again, I, I think the companies need to go much further when it comes to doing something for the people they're not hiring. I just did that career portal for my own company. And then I had a ton of search firms call me and say, how do we get that? I go, no, I did that for me. Well, now I do sell it to other people and they can private label. It looks like they did it for people just to give candidates a lifeline. I'm the one that does the live calls once a week, free for job seekers, just to help them. And that's kind of my give back. I love that. Okay. So what is something that you wish more leaders understood about the recruiting and hiring process? Um, that every time they point the finger at someone else, there's three fingers pointing back at them. And usually the problems that they're facing in leadership have nothing to do with their talent acquisition department and have nothing to do with the amount of women that are available. It's as a leader, they haven't taken an active role in taking actions to make sure that they really do have a program in place to hire women in leadership. There's this tendency to blame everybody, everything, or we're in a geographic area where we can't, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Leaders really have to take a look deep inside and how committed are we and what changes are we willing to make? And often you could have one person on your leadership team that is preventing you from hiring women in leadership and you don't even realize it because you're not doing team interviews. Yeah, it's interesting. I have often thought that the 
expectation that leaders have of their people Mm -hmm. ends up playing out because their expectation is there. So if they've got a really negative mindset about how people want to work and why people want to be there, then that manifests because of how they're being treated, right? Mm -hmm. Your company culture, I mean, culture is so important and it's also your core values. Like, what are your core values? You know, and I think people want to know what philanthropic causes do you back? People now are not just taking a job. If I'm an environmentalist, I'm not going to go work for a gas company. I'm not going to do those things. I'm going to go work where where the company is environmentally friendly. So companies have to realize and leadership have to realize the role that their culture and their core values are going to play in their ability to find talent. And you hear technology companies are laying off now and everybody keeps using the R word. I've done 18 courses for LinkedIn learning. And so I get a lot of LinkedIn's big data because we do calls once a week. Anybody that's done courses for them, we're on these calls. And there are still three jobs for every one person. And so it's not easy to find talent. And so leadership, if they don't wake up, their competitors that are really making a commitment are going to run right over them because in the future, they're not going to be able to catch up. They're just going to be able to catch up. Mm. So now is the time. Now it's real, it's front and center. But what actions are you taking? Not what lip service are you giving? What programs do you have in place? What changes have you made? Then when you make a change, do you look at the results? And if you don't get the results you want, then what further changes? You know, you've got to follow it through. You can't just come up with something and do it and then not monitor the results to see if you have to make changes. So mm. it's a long process that you've got to stay with. So this isn't a short-term fix. It's a long-term commitment. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not sure if you want to comment on that, but the R word is being thrown around quite a bit. I see the same thing you're seeing, which is that there's so many more jobs out there and opportunities out there than it seems like there is in the talent pool. Do you want to comment on that? Well, sure. Because the reason that technology companies are all laying off, it's very simple. They overhired during COVID. And they didn't think the buying habits of the public were ever going to go back to what they were. And what happened is they overestimated what they thought they could provide and people did not do what they thought they would. Now, COVID is not behind us, but it's not forefront now. And people went back to a lot of their normal ways of doing things. I have to tell you something, and I know this for a fact because I trained in the staffing and recruiting profession, that all those companies that are laying off, they're hiring contractors in the back door. So they're laying all these full-time people off, but these are people that don't have the skill sets they need or that they overhired and they can't hire full-time people because they just laid a bunch off. So they're hiring contractors in the back door. So it's not that we're in the middle of a recession. I mean, I hate that word. And it's almost a a self-fulfilling prophecy when you start thinking that way. It is so hard to find talent. Companies are going to close because they can't find talent in the future. And the only thing that's going to save us are the millennials. The millennials are now 56% of the workforce, millennials and Gen Z. And everybody blames millennials and Gen Z for everything that's wrong. Like they're entitled, they're this, they're that. Well, they're 56% of the workforce. And in two years, in 2025, millennials and Gen Z are going to be over 70% of the workforce. So that's something else that companies have to wrap their head around is that millennials and Gen Z don't think like the generations before them. And whether you're trying to hire a female or a male, you've got to be flexible. You've got to adapt to the workforce. Yes, the workplace has changed, but so has the workforce. And so it's going to get harder and harder to find people. And so you better open the resources to female executives or you're not going to have the talent you need to run your company. 
Yeah. And not to take us too far down a rabbit hole, but what are your thoughts on these tech companies layoffs as far as their failures in hiring, hiring the wrong skills, hiring too many people? I think a lot of major big companies do do that. That's why you got 50% of the workforce working flexible. They're not working a full-time job. There's a new business model now. And the new business model we see companies going to is businesses are going to have their core employees. Those are their full-time people that are working. And if one of them left, they'd be in trouble, okay? Because these are the people that are running their company. These are the leaders that that have the financial responsibility, that are, are the strategic people. But then what they're doing now is they're surrounding them by a flexible workforce, by temporary workers, by contractors. So if I get a big project, I don't have to hire a bunch of people. And then when the project's over, I have to fire them now because now I've got to pay unemployment comp. I'd much rather just hire contractors. And so I think the technology companies really overhired. You know, and I think they got scared when the job market went so crazy during COVID that they just hired because they knew they could. And their name drew people in. If I'm a Google or I'm a big company, I can draw people in. And now they're having to go back and reverse that. But I don't think this is going to change. I think going forward, you're going to see those core employees surrounded. And a lot of people love to work contract because they have unlimited time off. They can work a contract for nine months and then take six months off and then take another contract for 10 months. And every time they take a new contract, they're making more money. So in the long run, contractors make more money hourly than full-time employees. So you're seeing the workforce change. You're seeing the workplace change. But in the C-suite, boy, you need the cream of the crop. You need those people that are thinking ahead, are totally in tune to where you're trying to go, and they're going to help you get there. And women will make up a big portion of that. All right. This is great. So Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about women as candidates. We've got ambitious women in our network that are looking to go places in their career. What do women who are looking to advance to senior and executive level positions need to understand about putting themselves out there and attracting opportunity? Number one, they've got to ask for what they want. You know, most women know what they want, but they don't verbalize what they want. They just don't. And a promotion comes up and they apply for it, but they haven't been telling people all along that my goal is to get here. You know, when you're working for a company, you should be asking your direct supervisor, whoever you answer to, what is the next step in my career? Where is this career going to lead? And then you got to do things that leaders do. I've always told women, never consider yourself a manager. Managers have subordinates. Leaders have followers. What are you doing to inspire others? Like you've got to be that person that you are inspiring others. You're helping them get great and you just start moving up the ranks. But you've got to join your professional associations. And you've got to get a leadership role in your professional associations. As a recruiter, that's where we go. When we're looking for leaders, we go to professional associations to see who are the officers of, of the association, who's written a paper, who's been published, who are getting awards. You know, you've got to get active. And you might say, my job is so time consuming. No, you've got to have a tremendous network. Most women that end up with the best leadership roles did not get recruited by a recruiter. Somebody in their network knew them. And so LinkedIn estimated that over 80% of people getting a job right now are getting it through networking. They're not getting it by answering job board ads. In fact, when, I, when I'm training job seekers, I go never spend more than 10% of your time on job board ads. The highest competition, the lowest rate of return. Spend 80% of your time building your professional and your personal network. Very Louder for the people in the back. So true. You have got to become the best networker that you know. And don't think, you know, well, who am I going to network with? Everybody, everybody. And see, you never know 
who knows somebody? Like I have people say, well, I don't know somebody at my level. I had an instance where I knew a, a controller that was looking for a job. And he'd approached me because I was told him how his resume sucked. And so we were just talking. And I said, no matter where you are, let people know you're looking for a job. And he goes, it's so hard. I go, I don't care where you go. Like at the gas station, what job seekers do too is they do things during the day because they can because they're not working rather than doing things when people that are working do it. Like don't do your grocery shopping during the day. Do it at five where you run into people that are not working. Reach out to your professional network. But this man, he was making fun of me, yet he was getting his car fixed. And he told the kid who was fixing his car that he was looking for a job. He just got laid off, top financial person. He comes back to get his car. And there's another guy there. And he said, hey, aren't you the CEO of a company? And the guy goes, well, yes. And he goes, do you ever need like a financial guy? He goes, this guy's looking for a job. Okay. Do you know that that guy got the job with the company at a mechanic place, this little mechanic? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I mean, you never know. And so every day of your life, you've got to build your network. When you're on LinkedIn, you can't just be in a group. If you want to know how to work LinkedIn, follow me on LinkedIn, okay? Barb Bruno, and watch what I do. I have 58,000 followers on one side and like 30,000 on another side. But you know what I do? I write two articles every week. I just put an article on yesterday and it was swallow the biggest frog first. And when I put silly things, I think they had like 38,000 hits in the last 24 hours, which is the highest I've ever had. And it was called, I just put swallow the biggest frog first with this ugly frog. It was cute. It was kind of a cute frog, but it was how, whatever you don't want to do, you do that first and get it off your plate so that you have a clear head to do everything else. But as a job seeker, you got to build your network daily. And networking is not you asking for things. Networking is sharing what you know, sharing with other people, letting them see your value. And then finding out what they can do. So if you belong to a group on LinkedIn, you should be posting something on that group once a week that's going to help all the people in that group. When you help other people, they're more than likely to help you. But too many women that I meet, they think networking is them getting something. No, 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 no. Networking is you giving as much as you can and then it just comes back. So go out there, go to the places where where you know you need to be seen and share your knowledge, share your knowledge share your leadership and people will pick up on you. And that's the way that networking will lead you. But I'm telling you, eight out of 10 of you know somebody who could open a door for you right now. But because you're not actively working your network, you're sitting there going, I can't find a job. Well, you know, the job's not going to ring your doorbell and say, here I am. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to be very proactive. (laughs) Most people that think they're conducting a job search, they're not. If you're not working, your job search should take you a minimum of 35 hours a week. Minimum. And the best way to find a job, if, if, if somebody can't open a door for you, directly market yourself to companies you want to work for and market yourself to somebody who would be your boss's boss, because you might have more of a degree than your boss and just send a cover letter. Tell them why you targeted their company. See, if you're going to target a company, set up Google alerts where you know everything about their company. And send a cover letter telling them why you want to work for them and the benefits you could bring them. And then send it in a white envelope and handwrite it. You return address. And then on the bottom, put personal and confidential. That's the only thing a secretary won't open. When you send resumes to companies, secretaries open them and they send them down to HR and you get lost. If you take the time to identify the person who would be your boss's boss and you do five of these a day, what company do you want to target? What person? Got to do your homework got to set up Google alerts on all your target companies. 
that's another great way to network and find a job. You can't wait for things to happen. You, as a job seeker, you got to go out there and proactively do things that other people are not willing to do. Most people are not willing to do this because it's a lot of work. Yes, it is a lot of work. And I love that you bring up the tool of Google Alerts. So if anybody listening, if you don't know what that is, Google allows you to set up email alerts to yourself for effectively anything. So their web crawlers are crawling the internet. And if the company name gets, you know, on some article or something, and you have your Google alert set up for that company, you'll receive an email that says, you know, this phrase came up, this company name, and here's the link to what it's uh Right. And what you want to do when you set up Google alerts, the first alert that comes through, because you're probably targeting decent sized companies, you don't want your inbox full of Google alerts. So right click and set up a rule. So anytime I get something from, you know, I don't know what company, Franklin Company, anytime I get something from them, I set up a folder for Franklin Company. And then the Google alerts don't go in my inbox, they go in the folder. But before you reach out to Franklin, you're learning everything that's going on with the company. What are other people saying about them? When you look at the website of a company that you want to apply for, don't just read the home page, read press and media read what other people are saying about them. A job search is you really going out there. This is serious stuff. It's not just sitting there, you know, blasting resumes and hoping to God something happens, like posting and praying. No, you've got to do the homework. You've got to do the research. And if you don't know how to set up a Google alert, Google, how do I set up a Google alert? And it's a very easy process. Anybody can do it. Okay, let's get a little more strategic here. So women who are, they're not just doing a job hunt, they are probably in a good position already, and they're specifically targeting something in a V or C suite. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend to them? What do they need to know about showcasing themselves and then perhaps the interview process? Showcasing yourself, you have got to win awards. You have got to head up projects. You've got to do things that other leaders are not doing to stand out. You've got to know what are the top two or three things that your company is trying to achieve? What's most important to your CEO? What's most important to your CIO or your CFO? What's most important to them? And you've got to become a visual part of that. When they ask, we want to put a group together to brainstorm this. You can't shy away from this. You've got to offer to lead that. And what you also have to do is you've got to go to the leadership of your company and let them know that you want to move up. Because what they're going to realize, if they don't move you up, you're going to leave. You're not telling them that, but I want to know what my next step is. My goal is to be in the C-suite. My goal is to let them know what your goal is. And I would point blank ask, you know, and don't necessarily ask your boss because your boss might be going for the same jobs you are. Always go over your boss's head at least one level and confidentially just saying, I would love to get to this level with our company. I really respect you. I really admire you. And I would appreciate your opinion and your advice. What steps should I take to achieve my goal? And again, you might be more educated. You might be a threat to your boss. And the other thing too, is you've got to understand something that there's another reason why women don't make it in the C-suite that we don't often discuss. And that's you're really, really good at your job and your boss doesn't want to lose you. So they hold you back. They don't recommend you. They don't push you on because they don't want to lose you. So it's a compliment, but how dare them? But that happens all the time. You're this overachiever and you're doing these great things. And sometimes your bosses take credit for what you are doing. Or the other thing to get noticed by a company, most companies have some philanthropic cause that is near and dear to the heart of the executives. It could be the American Heart Association. It could mean whatever. Also get active in the philanthropic thing that your company stands for. 
Because when you do that, not realizing it, you're pulling on their heartstrings. And so it's not only your qualifications and your experience in that, you're also aligning yourself with what's important to them. You want them to envision you. Like if a job comes open in the C-suite, you want them to think of your name first. Sometimes women think you're bragging. You're not bragging when you're talking about accomplishments and impact that you've had. You're not bragging when you ask, how do I get to the next step? And you've got to verbalize to people that this is my goal because then they realize you're not going to stay there unless they move you up. There's nothing wrong with that. Such great advice. Would you have any negotiation tips that you'd want to offer to these same ambitious women? If you're not good at negotiating, then I would suggest you get anything, your hands on anything possible to learn how to become a strong negotiator. I don't think you can always win-win. I just don't. Everybody does negotiate to a win-win. No, sometimes you have to lose for the greater good. But when you're looking at what you're doing down the road, like, and again, all of you, where do you want to be in three to five years? Because if you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. I find that women, well, I want to do, well, how? What's your next step? What's the step after that? What's your one-year goal, your three-year goals, your five-year goals? Because if you don't know where you're going to be in five years, you're making bad decisions right now because all the decisions you're making and negotiating plays in everything, how you negotiate a job, how you negotiate contracts, how you negotiate through the interviewing process. I find the best way when you're negotiating, I never am the first one that throws a number out ever. I always ask the other person what they have in mind. What range are you talking? And when it gets to salary, salary ban laws are now in effect in 17 states and something like 27 municipalities across the country. So most people aren't asking you what you're earning now, which is wonderful. They can't, but they can ask you what range are you looking for? And if you give them a range of, you know, 100 to 120, they're going to hear 100 when you're thinking 120. So what you have to say is the range that we were discussing is within my range. Of course, I'm going to look at your entire package. You never give a number, you know, when you're negotiating salary. But in every other instance, if you ask people open-ended questions, questions where they can't answer a yes or a no, you'll be a much better negotiator. Because if you give people a chance to say no, people are just negative now. And so if you ask open-ended questions, which is a question that can't be answered by a yes or no, and when you're negotiating, know as much as possible about the person that you're negotiating with. Go on their LinkedIn profile, but go deep into their LinkedIn profile and get them to like you. If you let someone talk about themselves a little bit, they like you better and don't even realize why they like you better. But people like you better if you let them talk about themselves, because that's always our favorite topic. And so rather than coming in, you don't want to come in so strong and cutthroat, you know, and you've got to have plan A, B, and C. You can't just go in, well, I want A. And I always put what I want second. And this has just been me throughout my whole career. When I'm negotiating and people ask for options, I always put what I want second. And it's been my experience that probably 90% of the time they pick what I suggest second. It's like they don't want to give me my first thing and they're not going to give me my last thing. So I almost always put what I want second. And I, I just did that this morning to somebody and I got what I wanted because I put it second and that's what he chose. And you can play with this, but you've got to get very comfortable. Read books about negotiating, read books about sales, because no matter what job you're in, you got to sell yourself. You're going to be negotiating throughout your entire career. You're going to be negotiating your income. You're going to be negotiating what work you get, what companies you work for. So anything you can read, Jeff Gittimer um, has some great books out there on sales. I, I've been on the same program with Jeff a few times and he's got the sales Bible and other things. And he's got some great training on negotiating. I don't want you ever to say I'm not a good negotiator because then I'm going to tell you, you're never going to get the C-suite. 
And if you get in there, you're not going to survive. So all of you have to say right now, I am a good negotiator and say 10 times a day till you believe it and then get the skill sets that'll back it. So great. Okay. Barb, did I miss anything today that you want to share with our audience? Not really. You know, I guess just connect with me on LinkedIn because if you watch what I do, I'm teaching you. You know, and I belong to 38 groups, which is too many. You should belong to 10. The only reason I belong to 38 groups is because I have three different companies and they have different interests. So I have, I got 10 groups, got a little out of hand. Again, those of you that are looking for the C-suite, you've got to stop whining too. You've got to stop blaming that they don't hire women at the top. So what are you not doing? Where are you not positioning yourself? Are you not networking? Are you half-assed doing your job search? Are you blaming other people? Uh, What steps are you taking? So just like I said, the leaders have to take steps. If you're a female executive and you really want to get there, then there's females, CEOs, and do you know them? Are you connected with them? Do you get in a a mastermind group with them? I mean, what are you doing to position yourself? So you've got to look back at what can you do differently? If you don't like your results that you're getting right now, then you can't keep doing things the same way. You've got to change up the way you're doing things. That's the only way you're going to get different results. So look at how you're conducting your journey to become a chairman of the board or a CEO. And what do you have to change? Every 90 days, review what you're doing. What results are you getting? Your results are based on three things. The decisions you make and the actions you take give you the results you're getting. So if you don't have the results you're getting, you've got to look at the decisions you're making and the actions you're taking. And that's what you got to change if you want to get the results that are going to get you where you want to go. So I guess that's where I would end. Awesome. Okay. So you're on LinkedIn. People can follow you there. Anything else special that you have coming up that you'd like to share and where can people find you? Other well, they can find me online. You know, I, Good as Gold Training is my website and, you know, everything is on Good as Gold Training because I do many different things. I have a lot of web-based training programs and that if somebody's looking for a job, they could go to my career portal, which is uh, myjobsearchresources.com. They could register free and they'll get a call with me once a week. So it's myjobsearchresources.com. But, you know, if you go on LinkedIn, I've got courses there for people. If you go on my website, Good as Gold Training, or the career portal that can help people, you know, because I really do want to help. And another thing, showing up today to this podcast is step number one. And you might say, I really enjoyed that. Barb gave some great things. I talk fast. I give way too much information because I never know what's going to help somebody. So I try to give you as much as I can in a short period of time. What is the one thing I said that, that made you cringe? Like, oh, I don't do that. Because that's the first thing you should implement. When you come to a podcast, what are you going to do? Just showing up to podcasts. We enjoyed that. I know people that listen to six and seven podcasts a day and don't do anything with the information. So what is the one change you're going to make? And imagine if you take three ideas from this podcast and you implement one in March, one in April and one in March, April and one in May, the difference it would make in your job search or the difference it would make in the way you find talent. So take these podcasts that Lead to Soar is giving you and take what you learn and put it into action. That's when this is worth your time. I guess I'll leave on that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Barb, for making the time and joining us today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.